0: Welcome back to the Dungeon Master's Block, the place where we go to focus on the Dungeon Master, the most important person in the game, the only person capable of playing God, killing characters, and lowering the ego of all the other people at the table. I'm one of your hosts, DM Neil, aka Maniac, and today we're going to be talking about mounts, how to use them, how to put them in your game, and everything we could come up with. But before we get to that, we have a couple of five-star reviews. And today we're headed over to Stitcher, and the first one comes from DM Tim. I wish I would have found these guys a year ago. As a relatively new DM, 40-year-old guy who hasn't played since he was 14, your podcast is freaking awesome. The show is absolutely amazing, entertaining, and infinitely helpful. I frequently hijack the ideas and integrate them into my family games. My kids absolutely think it's great. Please keep going with the great work. Well, thank you, DM Tim, and you keep going with your great work. And the next one comes from DM Just Jersh, uh, <laughs> awesome name, and it's perfect for a new DM, five stars. This is a fantastic source for any new DM. I had to learn on my own, and this is the best supplement I have. Thank you. The gym is awesome, and I've had a blast flexing my DM skills with you and everyone else in the forums. So thank you, thank you, thank you. I'm excited to catch up on all the episodes. Well, thank you as well, Just Jersh, and I know that you've been doing some heavy lifting in the gym, and you'll get a shout-out there too. If you are a Patreon member and you are gold, dragon or higher, head on over to the Patreon and you can find some new feats that I've made for mounted combat and just having mounts in games. But with all that out of the way, let's head to the meat.
1: I'm starving. We ain't had nothing but maggoty bread for three stinking days. Why can't we have some meats? Looks like meat back on the menu, boys.
0: Today, for the meat... On a steel horse, we ride because today Ooh. we are talking all about mounts. Um, honestly, Mitch and I decided, you know what? We should dig into the source material for fifth edition, find all these cool <laughs> things about mounts. And there was like one page in the player's handbook. So we thought it would be a perfect topic to talk about because it comes up. People don't like walking everywhere. They want to ride. So like I said, we're going to talk all about mounts.
1: I guess uh, the first question I'd want to ask you, Neil, is, I mean, you've been playing Dungeons & Dragons a lot longer than I have. Uh, you have many more years under your belt. How often do mounts and mounted combat have they like played a part in the campaigns you've either DM'd or like, that you've played in?
0: So I would say that it has come up in every campaign i've ever been in now now mm-hmm. the scale to which it has come up has been very different it's yeah different, and there yeah. there was a couple where it was very prominent because we were doing a lot of traveling so it was important that we had mounts and how they were mounted that we had a cart and a lot of factors played into that there was another one where we did a lot of larger scale battles so mounts came into play in there and i was a dwarf riding a bear because of course i of was of course yep so i would but even in the places where it it wasn't a key focus it still came up every single time and it and it always will especially if you have a paladin
1: <laughs> very true As, especially if you're talking about older editions yeah it, it becomes very prevalent yeah i think for me mounts have been are something that this is the nature of doing a podcast on dungeons and dragons right is that you come across a topic and you're like man like i need to focus on on that more, mm-hmm. like I, I feel like I don't do that enough because it's just another thing that I haven't thought about. Uh, that being said, like depending on the campaign, it certainly has been prevalent for me. The Riders of Shemesh campaign certainly uh, mounts were something of importance to those uh, player characters, so it became important to the game that we were playing in. But let's let's talk about let's get into talking about mounts specifically. We're here to talk about more than just like the mechanics, as you said, uh, that there isn't a lot on (laughs) anyway, uh, which (laughs) is fifth edition is kind of nice. Right. But I think there's there's more to just I go to town, I buy a horse, I now have a mount. Right. Like when I think of like introducing a mount into my campaign to my player or a player who wants their PC to have a mount. To me, I go, oh cool, what is the story element that we're going to explore here? How am I going to introduce that mount? How is that mount going to play an important part in this campaign? So kind of to start off, uh, what are some ways that you've introduced mounts to your PCs uh, or ideas that you have of, of special ways that you can have that become part of your game? Yeah, and I think that's
0: the the key factor is switching from a just a means of conveyance to a, yeah. a mount that is, in a way, a, a consistent NPC for, yeah. for the group, be it one player or everyone gets a specialized mount. So I think that's important. I think that having a story, having motivations or, I guess, difficulty is, would be another way to say it, to get the mount. Kind of elevates it out of like, yay, this donkey is getting us from point A to point B (laughs) to this is Bill, my horse that I don't want to come into Moria with me.
1: Yeah, which I mean, the other way is it's not that that's wrong, right? Like there are plenty of times that you could go into a town, drop a couple gold pieces, you get a new donkey or a new horse and you get into mounted combat and shocker that horse, especially once you get further away from level one dies because it doesn't have a lot of hit points. So it isn't really meaningful. But we're talking, like you said, about something that's more meaningful. Even, yeah, even Bill the Pony. Bill the Pony was not (laughs) a high HP, high AC creature, right? But there was a bond created between Sam and Bill, partially because of the character that Sam was. I always,
0: every time I see that scene, I'm like, oh, Bill died. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Bill did not
0: make it home. <laughs> no,
1: you, guys, you guys sent him past a lake with a giant kraken in it. Um, I'm sure that there's fan fiction out there somewhere of the adventures of Bill the Pony after the group went into Moria, right? Yeah. I want to read that fan fiction.
0: And I, I think one of the things to do is make it a non-traditional mount. I think that that really helps change how your players will view the mount if it's But maybe some don't. Maybe some love horses and they want a horse that they can ride. But I think setting it off with the idea, like there's the burrow shark, who is a monster that you could put in front of your players that rides a, oh, well, we can have this debate again, Um,
1: Bulette. (laughs) I was going to say, you said burrow shark because you didn't want to get into how it's pronounced, right? Bulet, bullet. Yes, while
0: I don't, but that's actually the name of the person riding it because ah. they're, they're essentially it's a bonded mount. And while the Bulet is digging through the earth, the burrow shark can still ride and basically stay on it while it burrows. Gotcha. And so I think that's the other thing is what do you want that mount to be doing is also very important.
1: You brought this up with when I first asked you uh, about using mounts in your campaign, but you brought up a dwarf character that I think you said you were playing, mm-hmm. yes? Yep. And he, you you just kind of threw it out like, and of course his mount was a bear. But I think that there are, when we're talking about like introducing a mount to a player character, there are a whole number of factors that you can ask yourself as a DM that can start to give you cool ideas Listen, horses are awesome. Nobody's yep. nobody's debating that. But when we're talking about a fantasy world, you can really expand upon what it is that your mount could be. And so you can ask yourself, is there a mount that is going to correspond with the race that this PC is? Like dwarves and bears and boars, right? Uh, is there a mount that is going to correspond with the player character's class? Uh, Is there a mount that's going to base off of, and this is something that I thought we could have some really interesting discussion, is the size of the player character. Yep. Uh, Because the typical sizes that you think of is small, medium, right? Yep. But, like, what if you're playing in a campaign where you have tiny characters or huge characters? The mounts are going to be much more interesting. Yes. And then, of course, I think mounts based off of the region, of the world that you're playing in, all four of those factors, and I'm sure we could think of even more than that, are going to open up the door to, like you said, Neil, the, the mounts themselves being different and special and unique.
0: So kind of even getting back into some of the ways to introduce it, it could just be a standard thing for the campaign that you're running is that people that live in this area or people maybe that just live in this entire world have a bond with a mount. Yeah, And I I think that's also kind of an important word to use, and how you use it is certainly up to you. But having a bond that is maybe magical, and so then there's a telepathic connection. And so a lot of factors built into this bond, So honestly, to make it much easier for your players and the (laughs) mount to communicate or to function well. Because one thing I did when researching was kind of look towards monster stat blocks to see how basically fifth edition designers have been introducing mounts with NPCs. And one of the cool ones I found was the Dark Tide Knight, where mm. basically it imbues the ability to breathe water. So you could have this underwater campaign. And because of the mounted, the bond between mount and player, or rather player character, uh... Don't your players can't <laughs> breathe underwater. Um they, now they can just have an entire underwater campaign and not think about it.
1: Yeah. I I love that idea that you kind of just threw out there of like maybe this is just something that the place that you're playing in your world or the the culture uh of the the people, uh, that it's just something that's normal. I love this idea of having a, a halfling player character and from the very beginning of the campaign you've established that they have a riding dog and that riding yes. dog was was something that was given to that halfling from a very young age so he's literally or she's literally grown up with this dog that it like you said it's an npc it's not just a statted mount but it's something that's near and dear to this halfling perhaps the most near and dear thing that's going to be on his or her character sheet right cuz we talk about like items that are handed down from family and stuff like that. But what if it's like a mount, like a a dog or for a, for a dwarf? Uh, (laughs) I can just imagine a dwarf, like teenager rolling around in the dirt with a teenage bear Mm -hmm. as they bond and then you playing that, uh, that dwarf, uh, later in life and having that be an adult bear, which, oh man, now I'm, now I'm thinking of the age of, the typical age of a dwarf uh-huh. and how bears do not even live half that long. Yeah. And I'm thinking, one, there's there's a sad moment where that bear either dies in combat or of natural causes. But also, I mean, you also throw out there that ne- because of that age of that dwarf, it could be something that that bear's son or daughter becomes their new mount and kind of has this continued story depending on how long you play that campaign. What's funny is I was thinking the
0: exact opposite. In that there are creatures that could certainly live much Outlandly. longer than your you know, some of the player character races that are chosen. So it could be this creature that has been in the family for generations oh, because yeah. it lives this really long time. The other option to basically not, not introduce a ticking time bomb of sadness that is a dog <laughs> or, or a bear would be that magical bond where basically your lives are connected.
1: And that as long
0: as you're around,
1: they're around that kind of that concept as well. Oh, man, a bear that lives to be like 350 years old is insanely cool. (laughs) And then they just like slowly just ride off into the sunset. Yes. (laughs) Well, oh, man. But that, that I mean, you just said to not have that ticking time bomb of sadness. But I just went to the tragic side of that and having this idea of the death of that player. The the bear comes over and just lies down next to the the dwarf and dies with yeah. him and it's just like oh my gosh that's so sad oh see that's even better It's perfect but beautiful yeah. like it's a it's a good storytelling element right what about um what about like wild mounts that m- weren't given to a PC Neil but like a player wants to uh, have a mount but they're going to go out and have to get it. What's What are some interesting aspects of that that you would use as a DM to have that play out for a player that wants their PC to have to go find them out? Yeah. And it's a little bit of a
0: tough one to introduce depending on how your campaign is structured. If you kind of have this setup where we're like we've done A, now we need to do B, we need to do C. The idea of establishing any kind of bond or training with with a mount that you've now just found in the wild most things written down say like a month worth of time and mm-hmm. that could that could even be an underestimated time frame depending yeah. on what the mount is so i would hope that i could facilitate some sort of downtime activity to be able to let that person establish that bond and like what they how they want to interact with the mount if not it kind of would have to be a ongoing thing inside the campaign, honestly, of this contention back and forth of, well, no, I'm going to do what I want. And the player being like, well, no, I want my mount to do this, and which can be a lot of fun. Um, And you're definitely going to need to make sure your player understands that you're still working towards this. And hopefully that goal can help keep them on the
1: path. <laughs> that or I feel like you need to if you're. Not playing within the context of a campaign where there can be that, that downtime, that working on, on taming a mount, on uh, becoming familiar with it. There needs to be like some special bond happening from the get-go. Uh, like your elf ranger character is looking for a mount and they come across a beautiful uh, elk. In the forest, that would be the perfect amount. Uh, but that elk is being surrounded by a pack of hungry wolves. And so your elf rushes in and saves that elk and battles with that elk to save its life, having this moment of I mean, we're talking about magic worlds, right? We're talking oh, about yeah. fantasy worlds there in real life if you did that the elk would probably still run away from you cuz it's like i don't understand. What yeah, it, but, as, soon,
0: as soon as you turn your back you take some hooves to the head.
1: Yeah. <laughs> you would rush in fight the fight the wolves looking back and be like, "Oh, the elk ran away because I distracted the wolves." <laughs> um but it like in a fantasy world, of course, especially with an elf uh or like a ranger or a druid, someone who's like communes with nature on a regular basis, I can Totally see this picture of uh, that character just slowly and carefully walking up uh, to that that creature afterwards, and just petting its head, and then a bond being formed early on. And so maybe that, that still that bond still, of course, is going to have to grow. But there was a catalyst at the beginning that made that that I we need to train for months, right? Like we need to dominate yeah. it for months. That kind of like fast tracks that. I like it.
0: Yeah. Something to create that bond. Bond, important word. So you had mentioned having characters that are based on their race, based on their class of being more like an affinity to nature is being one way. And of course, the other one that we had mentioned before and need to mention again is that very quickly, if you have a paladin in your group, as quick as level three, they could be summoning a steed. Um, For older editions, that is very different. Um, (laughs) Mitch and I had a conversation about that but the at second not at second level at third level they can cast find steed and in fifth edition it works more like a giant familiar because mm-hmm. you're summoning the spirit of the steed and the interesting thing is you could dismiss it and summon something else so the list of steeds there is a war horse a pony a camel an elk or a mastiff which kind of goes back to the idea of you have a having an awesome halfling paladin riding <laughs> around on a mastiff but oh, i'm trying to like the idea that you could have it just show up out of nowhere yeah scares me more than a little because all of a sudden there's
1: like a war horse in the middle of my dungeon <laughs> yeah I, and I don't know, for me, this is one of those moments where I would hope that the either I realized, oh, it's level three, uh, the paladin can have this now, or my, my player came to me and said, uh, this is happening now. Not so that I could be like, not because I'm like, oh no, I'm worried that this might happen, but because to me, the first time that that paladin summons that steed shouldn't just be a flippant and a horse appears Yeah, like, right? Like I want to work as the DM with that player to create this moment uh, where like a light shines down uh, and this beautiful steed appears. And those, those four options you gave, it specifically also says, or other things that Mm -hmm. the DM allows. Right. So really like, this is that moment where like, you as a dm can work with your player who's a paladin to be like yeah let's 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 make this a cool appearance this first appearance and like you like you said Neil too it's there's so much more in older editions that this is one of those things that i'd say go and look at the older edition rules on paladin mounts because if you're talking about making this mount important to your player character and making it be something beyond just a a horse, right, or a a riding dog, there's a lot of cool ideas that come with the older rules that you can, of course, bring into fifth edition or any edition.
0: Yeah, the convenience a little bit is the idea that this also takes 10 minutes to cast. So if it Mm -hmm. did just kind of show up, if you will, you would at least be able to be like, okay, well, you have to set aside 10 minutes. I'm also going to personally set aside 10 minutes and figure out what we're going to do next. But but also figuring out what those 10 minutes look like for that paladin. That Especially, yeah. like you said, that first time that they're summoning them. And again, definitely go check out Older Editions because that bond progresses. It's You gain more feats. You gain a better connection. You gain all these things. And I do understand from a mecha- mechanic's perspective, that's a difficult thing for uh, an individual player who <laughs> – especially from uh, thinking about a poor paladin who's like, okay, I got to do all these things in combat, but I also need to remember that I have all these spells and I can do stuff with undead. Oh man, I got to Mount. Um, <laughs> so I, I totally get it from a d- design perspective, but um, yeah, like I said, find steed. And then of course we can't forget find greater steed mm. oh, where you can choose a Griffin, a Pegasus, a Praeton, a dire wolf, a rhinoceros or a <laughs> saber-toothed tiger are yes. the default listed mounts,
1: or once again, any other mm-hmm. creature that you, as the DM, decide makes sense, right? And that, but that is so cool when we're talking about mounts like a sa- a paladin riding a saber-toothed tiger. Yeah, that like like we're saying this should not just be a flippant. I cast a spell and a saber-toothed tiger comes out. Make. It a moment where something like if you're talking about the the bulle right like make it a moment where you describe the earth opening up and this this divine bulle just gl- radiating comes forth from the ground and describe it right make it make it into a cool moment maybe the of uh, the voice of your god uh, comes through and And says something about this mount being a blessing to this holy warrior. Well, and the other thing is because the idea is that you're summoning the same spirit every
0: time. It's just how Mm -hmm. it looks. You could go into and, again, throw it out there, an underwater campaign and everyone gets on these mounts. Like, let's say they all look like seahorses. Sure, whatever. Whatever. And the paladin spends the next 10 minutes summoning that spirit of the mount again. And now it is this, like you said, this radiant celestial seahorse that the paladin gets to ride because they're able to use this spell It's part of their class. So you're, you're using that to shine, I, I, whatever, shine celestial light. It's fine. Um, <laughs> a, a light on this class
1: feature, which, I mean, you should be trying to do with everybody. But we're
0: talking about mounts. So
1: paladins, here you go. So when you – we've talked a lot about the Paladin because that was something and they are the class in 5th edition and going back that like um, having a mount was so important. But when you think of other classes, Neil, are there other like ways that you would go if you're talking about like a Druid or a Rogue or a Barbarian uh, that you would want to work with your PCs to be like, oh, yeah, this would be a cool mount to give them?
0: There, I mean, the one that comes to mind most would be the Warlock and figuring mm-hmm. out
1: what that looks like via your
0: patron. I mean, you already have a connection built into the class uh, to a higher power or lower power, however you want to say that. And figuring, I mean, number one, I mean, come on, it's a nightmare. Let's be honest. <laughs> You're going to have them ride around on a nightmare. Um, trying to think of other ones.
1: I mean, yeah, you can get real weird with the Warlock, depending on what, like, their bond with their patron is. Like, you get some very strange mounts. Like, you literally just create a homebrew creature that's just a strange creature that only appears for this Warlock. Yeah, and that's such a cool concept. Do you have a class that sticks out to you while I try and think of other ones? So one of the things that I thought would be amazing as i was trying to think what about like a rogue like what kind of mount would be great for a rogue because i was like well a a rogue's gonna want to sneak around right so like i thought of like Dritz in the books like guinevere is not a mount it's it's uh it's his familiar uh it's his companion he doesn't ride but it accompanies him to be able to also be sneaky, to be able to be a stealthy uh, companion to him. So I was trying to think, what kind of of mount would be good for a rogue to help them to be stealthy? And then I realized I had this image of a rogue on the back of a large spider hanging from the ceiling, being able to drop down on unsuspecting prey and use sneak attack as it drops like a quiet spider that just moves around i mean th- you think of shelob in the lord of the rings and how quietly that large spider moved around i think a spider would be perfect for a roguelike character yeah
0: and the the thing i was thinking i mean so going back to the dritz books is that the drow in the underdark use subterranean lizards but i think the key thing with giving it to a rogue is something that can climb and yeah. i think one of one of the things that i would it would be hard to get away from and i like even thinking of it it's hard for me to stay in this mindset a mount need not have four legs or more a mount mm. could be something that has two and maybe the rogue is on the back and then that whatever that creature may be can easily climb which is super helpful for any rogue i don't know what that
1: would be but climbing important <laughs> <laughs> well kind of going off of that a mount doesn't have to have Four legs. Talking about the barbarian, uh, I don't think that it's in fifth edition, but I remember using these a lot when I was DMing three point five. There were these raptor-like dinosaurs called flesh rakers, and when I think of flesh rakers, I think of rage-infused attacks, and so I think like a raptor-like creature for our barbarian. PC totally makes me think of Turok. Yeah, exactly. Like you've got your barbarian with. Their great axe on the back of a raging raptor. To me, that's, I don't want that thing coming towards me. That sounds horrifying. Yeah.
0: Okay. So for wizards or sorcerers, I don't want it to be a normal creature. I want it to be no, a, of course a magic carpet. Honestly, I want it to be an animated <laughs> table because that's hilarious to me. Mm-hmm. And you could like store all these things inside. Like you're basically just riding on a dresser like through <laughs> through the dungeon. So I think something that's animated would work really well for like a, a mage or a sorcerer.
1: Yeah, or you think of mages I think a lot and you think of birds, right? That they have their companion crow or, or owl. Uh, I mean, why not have the wizard use their enlarge spell and give them a, a special enlarge spell that makes that tiny owl into a large owl and be able to fly that large owl into battle? That's amazing.
0: All right, who who have we left out? I think the druid, honestly, figuring out what your player. What they're having their character already have an affinity towards, because certain players will lean towards, often will lean towards certain animals because they like that animal, and often they'll turn into large cats or they'll turn into a bear consistently because in their mind that's what they want to do. Uh, both as a player and a character, I think figuring something out to le- lean into that affinity would do really well because I mean the players kind of probably already
1: showing you what they like. Absolutely. Yeah, we've, I mean, we've talked a lot about a bunch of classes. I guess we'll leave the rest up to you. There's obviously more classes, but just this This is the idea we want to convey. is like just looking at these different aspects of your PCs and where you are in the world can definitely bring to life more ideas for your mounts. Uh, what about, and I brought this up briefly, you know, when I say size of characters, right? Uh, if we're going on like the extreme ends, we're talking tiny or huge characters. What, what do you think when you think of mounts? I mean, with
0: tiny, you can start to use things that are a familiar as the mount. And so it's just a cat. It's it's a bird. It's the, these different, these different things that would just be familiars, but now they're full blown mounts, I think is. And so you already have kind of this list of, of creatures that are often used, I think would be a lot of fun.
1: Yeah, to a pixie, a one HP cat is not going to be a one HP cat. Like, if you're getting into like that kind of campaign, you definitely are going to be homebrewing some mechanics there because tiny creatures usually don't have a lot of health. And but to a tiny creature fighting a tiny creature, it's going to be different, right? But yeah, a cat, uh, a a dog's going to be ginormous to a tiny creature. You're going to be able to fit the whole, unless it's like a corgi or something, right? Oh, that's that's a beautiful idea. <gasps> yes. Yes. Corgi mounts. There it is. Done. End the episode. <laughs> Thanks
0: for uh, listening to the Dungeon Mask. No.
1: <laughs> this has been the last episode of recording oh, ever. But then you go to the the extreme opposite end and we talk about like huge characters so what if you decide to play a campaign where all of your characters are giants are fire giants or hill giants whatever it is what are the mounts that are available to you as those giant creatures i mean i immediately think of the rocks Mm -hmm. the giant the giant birds yeah um but also dragons like yeah that was my thought uh, too i mean how insane would that be to play a campaign where you are giant characters And you're riding on the backs of dragons. That's a crazy mounted campaign, right there. That's
0: yeah, and but it definitely changes things because one of the things that one of the very few things that is mentioned in Fifth Edition is the idea of basically intelligent versus not intelligent mounts, Mm -hmm. and the intelligent intelligence and kind of that back and forth that now exists between you and dragons is insane because there needs to be a very very, very strong back and forth of why is this even happening?
1: I mean, I'll be honest, Neil, if if we're talking about this as we're creating like this campaign, my mind is open to saying, yeah, maybe that, that uh, dragon is not just an NPC, but maybe if I'm allowing players to be giants, maybe that dragon is a PC as well, <laughs> right? Yeah. And so you have this mounted combat with two PCs, one is riding the other one going into battle, having this insane team yeah. up together.
0: And, uh, one of the ones I thought of is some of the dinosaurs that were introduced, mm. um, through, you know, if some of them are extremely large. Another one is an awakened tree.
1: Made me totally made me
0: think of the Lord of the Rings again when the hobbits yep. are just hanging out on tree beard.
1: <laughs> and I guess the last element that we can talk about with this idea of, uh, introducing different types of mounts is the region that you set your adventure in Uh, where if we're in the desert horses okay but camels i think are going to be just as if not more prevalent if you're doing a jungle campaign don't shy away from having your characters all riding on the backs of tigers and if you have the swamps nearby, maybe your characters are riding on the back of giant toads, I don't know. I think the the place that that's you're in in your world. If you're further to the north and it's all snowy tundra, you're going to have a different mount than you are in the in the south with the deserts, right? It's it's going to be completely different.
0: Yeah, it, and that that's always something to keep in mind if if and when you introduce a mount is that the campaign needs to be conducive for the most part to the Mount existing because the player has invested this time. You've invested time, honestly, as the DM to set this up. And if you have all of these horses and now for the next year, you do a dungeon delve. Well, that's, that's a tough go. Uh, it's fun fact. <laughs> they don't like stairs uh, or just, just the space that is required. So thinking once that's been introduced, and like I said, it doesn't need to be 100% of the time. By, by no means do I, am I implying that. But the idea that more often than not, the mount needs to be able to be involved because so much has been invested in having it there in the campaign. Yes, exactly.
1: So I mentioned it really quick when we talked about the, the idea of tiny characters and how a, a dog could like be a mount for all of your characters. But what do you think about that idea, Neil, introducing a mount that is a mount for the entire party where does that take your mind oh like just one mount
0: yeah i I mean my first thought would be going back to a dragon yeah and you see you see that somewhat i don't want to say somewhat often because maybe it's just what i'm reading but uh, stuff that i'm reading you see it where the entire party (laughs) needs to get to a different place and so they've bartered or bonded with a dragon and now they can carry the entire party because it's this older dragon so they're huge all your players are medium or large or smaller and it's like okay yeah i'll take you and it we've just <laughs> flown across the entire nation because you're on the back of a dragon
1: exactly and i i go well what is the what is the means of like a quote-unquote saddle for a creature that much bigger, right? And so I think of the the howdahs that uh, would be on the back of like an elephant that you'd have a number of warriors mm-hmm. being able to comfortably sit in. Like, I, I mean, of course, I'm thinking uh, of Olifants in yep. the Lord of the Rings trilogy, right? Like, what if you have your party have a creature that big? That no, 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 they're not sitting on a saddle. They have their own little fortress on the back of this creature that they're able to move around. And maybe one of the player characters is the one that has the reins and is able to direct where this creature is going. But the rest of the characters are able to move freely and throw range weapons down from on high.
0: Jeez, Yeah. Or what NPCs you have with you as well is another thing that I thought of.
1: So now that we've talked a lot about different types of mounts, how to introduce them, now we get to the juicy stuff, the stuff that there's one page in the, in the player's handbook on. Mounted yeah. <laughs> combat. Uh, obviously, if you're going to have a mount that's this type of importance, it's not just going to be a, hey, it got you from A to B quicker. But there are going to be moments where you're going to be on this mount, or your party's going to be on their mounts, or as we just said, your party is going to be on this one giant mount, right? Uh, that combat is going to come into play, or even just challenges, maybe a chase scene, something like that. So, without really getting deep into mechanics, let's talk about some ideas that we had for, for mounted combat, keeping it interesting, uh, making a challenge out of it. What are your thoughts, Neil?
0: I think the the key is who are you facing and are they also on mounts? Because if you have both sides mounted, I think I would kind of push some rules away because now it's more of an even playing field. And then just kind of keep to more the mechanics of the player already and also adding in the factor of more that it's an aesthetic than it is necessarily a, a very specific mechanical piece of
1: the combat. Mm. I think for me, mounted combat is the type of combat that I do not want to do on a gridded board. I want to do mounted combat in a theater of the mind style whenever it comes up. Because the turn-by-turn the turn base minis on a board often leads to just the idea of uh, two mounted or a mounted and an unmounted character being next to each other. The mount stops moving and they're fighting. Whereas, like, how do you do that with minis on a board to have two mounted combatants riding alongside of each other and fighting each other? It doesn't really work out well, but if you just go theater to the mind – you can kind of forego having that map and the rules of movement and that kind of things and just describing those things so that you are riding alongside of the other warrior on the back of their mount. Or, I mean, if we're going to take it even to another level, how do you possibly do without spending tons of money uh, or just getting really creative? Because you can do it, but it is really hard to make aerial mounted combat into a thing or like Neil, you brought up like underwater mounted combat into something that you do with a grid and minis 3d. Yeah, Yeah. (laughs) that's a, that's a tough
0: go. And when I do that, just as a a DM tip, when I start to do theater of the mind, when it comes to basically a three dimensional space or, and this works well with adding mounts into it, I often kind of write notes for, like, just for my personal spatial awareness because we're going around turn by turn. And so kind of person A is here, NPC B is here. And so then I kind of have rough ranges that I know people are. That way you can still – you can more seamlessly continue that theater of that mind and that conversation. And it, someone's undoubtedly going to ask, how far away am I from X person? Yes. And so then just having quick, quick notes that I'm basically – changing as the rounds go by to keep that keep that moving as fast as possible
1: this is one of the many times that i would say it is a fantastic dms tool to have just a small dry erase board at Uh your disposal that you can put like there are so many times uh that that comes in handy beyond just not wasting pages and pages of paper writing down Uh, enemy health and just having that and being able to wipe that clean after every encounter this is a great time that you can use that to yeah set some sort of idea of distance of pcs to enemies and mounts and all that kind of stuff oh
0: that that's what i i mean i don't know how to say this without like just laughing a dm (laughs) tip is just find and befriend a teacher Hmm. I do it at my table. We did it on the network. Like honestly just (laughs) to have successful Dungeons and Dragons, you have to befriend a teacher because one of my players literally just brought in whiteboards for everybody. There you go. And he, Andrew, he recently, this is a total aside. I'll probably cut this. He also had a math teacher quit or retire and literally just brought in bags and bags of dice that the math instructor had like d like uh-huh. just All like d and d dice d30s d20s oh, the wow. whole the whole run yes find a teacher make them your friend <laughs> so one of the things that i would throw out there is that there's a feat called mounted combatant if you're going to consistently have com- mounted combat in your game i would and if you value
1: your mount <laughs> yes
0: i would lean towards possibly giving your players this feat just Carte blanche. Like everyone has this, especially going back to the idea of bonded mounts and it exists in the world, and it exists as a, a common thing. I would probably give my players this just right out the gate because it's just going to make the mount and the whole mounted combat experience easier and better rather than them just having
1: them die on a very regular basis. What are some of the things that that, that feat? allows them it to make it to make it better basically.
0: So the biggest thing is that when an attack is focused on the mount, you could have it go to yourself, which is imperative. The other is basically giving it uncanny dodge. So if it fails a deck save, i.e. a fireball blows up, it just doesn't char whatever's underneath you because now it'll take half damage on a fail and no damage on a success. So, like I said, it's it's little things that make the whole experience much better for you and your mount.
1: Well, that's I mean, that is super important because when you're coming into battle and you're mounted and especially if your enemy is not, but even if they are mounted, there's kind of this kill two birds with one stone uh, mentality that your enemies might have. Uh, or at the very least, if we can take if we can take that paladin off of that charging rhino Then we'll have a better chance at defeating them. But this, this, that charging rhino just comes and smashes through our forces and gets away. That's getting real annoying. So (laughs) aim at the mount. Or if we're talking about like aerial combat, if we can shoot that halfling off of his griffin, well then they're gonna fall from the sky and potentially die from from the fall. So hey, that's fantastic. So yeah, you being able to have that feat to be able to protect your mount is really really important beyond just i care about this mount and i don't want it to die and the further you get away from level 1 the more unless oh, you're yeah. doing some sort of like stacking where your mount gets stronger as you go uh, the horse you're riding is going to be really easy to kill once you're like even at level 5 like and you're fighting th- like it's not going to take a long time
0: oh terrifying
1: what about like a uh, challenges, like chase uh, challenges and things? Are there any thoughts that you have, Neil, on that with mounted, with being on mounts?
0: That, that was the other thing that I wanted to get across as well when I was saying things moving fast. You definitely want to try and keep pace once you get into mounted combat because now you have larger Absolutely. creatures involved. It could be one like you're chasing and fighting. It could be that you're just trying to run away from something because – it could be that you have going to the idea let's say you're in a tundra and you have mounts because avalanches are very prevalent oh yeah and so it's the only reason it's the only reason and way you survive is because you have these mounts that can basically outrun this avalanche but it's still not just a given so you could have an avalanche show up and you need to make these checks and do these things and Yeah, I would love a skill challenge while on mount. That would be amazing.
1: Yeah, I mean, beyond just the, like, thinking about dexterity checks um, for maybe your mount, right? Like, you could add in, like, perception checks for uh, your character that's on the back being able to see that avalanche coming and warn your mount or rear your mount into a different direction in a good amount of time. And if you don't make it, then it might come down to that dex check or... And in some instances, your mount may need to swerve or move uh, or do a barrel roll. (laughs) uh, (laughs) Which might require you then to roll some sort of strength check to hold on and you might not, uh, depending on how poorly you roll. So yeah, like challenges, uh, skill challenges with this could even be more dangerous in some instances. But I think it's also important to mention which you did a, a while back, that there is, when we talk about mounted combat and challenges, there's going to be a difference between, this is, this, this is not a diss to horses, but between the dumb horse and the highly intelligent dragon mount that isn't going to need you to, or maybe even want you to, uh, have reins to be like, turn right, turn left. They're going to be doing it by themselves.
0: And the, the other thing that's interesting Again, I feel like we're really mean to horse. I like horses. I do. But <laughs> often in media, you see that a person is running a horse ragged, and it is often the horse that has the issue of going further. That concept can be flipped completely on its head because it's a mount that can go faster and ride harder and do things that you as your character can't. So it could be that you're doing constitution checks just to stay involved in this process because it's so rough on you and or survival. Because you're trying to figure out how far and fast can I go, be be at the mount or you. So there's a lot that you could do in terms of adding in different challenges and skills to make, one, the whole party feel competent, and two, make it feel like a stressful thing. So speaking of challenges, we're going to challenge you to do some homework, which, again, like I I love saying it this way. It's the best homework we could possibly give you. (laughs) Um, But do you have anything that you want to shout to the listeners to go check
1: out? I do and it kind of goes right off of that idea that we just talked about with intelligent mounts uh, if you haven't already it's it's a young adult adult fantasy book I read it when I was younger but the inheritance series uh, with with Aragon that's I think more what it's known for the first book uh, Aragon that's a great example to read from if you want to have an idea of basically everything we talked about uh fantastic exotic mount a mount that is much more than just a mount but it is an npc in the bond between because they have a very special bond dragons and their riders um in this book series than just uh a a knight on the back of a horse um there's the dissing of the horse again (laughs) get out of here so yeah go check that out don't check out the movie unless you really want to i guess but it's horrible but the books you can go check them out if you want to have some inspiration on intelligent mounts mounts as npcs the bond between them perfect so i have
0: two but if you do want to go watch a movie i would say go watch the never ending story ooh yes because but- you have two very different aspects you have falcor the luck ooh. dragon the, the- <laughs> <laughs> and then, of course, you have try you Yes. Uh, oh, yeah. So, so have, sad. Yeah, I was going to say, the ticking time bomb of sadness. And if you want to get inspired by a lot of different crazy mounts, I would just go to warcraftmounts.com because World of Warcraft has been pumping those out for the past 15 years or so. Awesome! Um, So definitely check that out. Like I said, for a lot of different inspiration because they have race-specific mounts, they have class-specific mounts, and they have a whole bunch of stuff that is like completely off the wall. If you wanted to get a hold of us and let us know how you've been putting mounts into your game, you can always head over and email us at dungeonmasterblock at gmail.com. If you see fit and you wanted to leave us a review, definitely head over to iTunes. And if you leave leave us a five-star review, we'll read it on air. Of course, you can head over to Twitter and follow us at DMS underscore block. That's at DMS block and on Facebook, where you can find all the updates and memes and anything we can think to post. And today's Patreon shout out goes to dmz and they are a gold patron dragon flying through the skies and they are about to check out like i said earlier those new mounted combat feats so thank you dmz for your support as always the dungeon masters block is a proud member of the block party podcast network where you can check out other shows like like geek wars we're so bad at adventuring detentions and dragons and more But with that, I just want to thank you again for listening to the Dungeon Master's Block, the place where we go to talk about the Dungeon Master, the most important person in the game, the only person capable of playing God, killing characters, and lowering the egos of all the other people at the table. I'm DM Neil. Good night, good luck, and keep on dungeon mastering. It's not inspiration, it's not wisdom, and it's bad advice. Instead of increasing the difficulty of monsters, just start using a D30 to roll everything behind the screen. Goodbye.